Hey, welcome to River Ridge. If you're here in person, if you're watching online, welcome to you all. Um, uh, glad that you're here. Reminder, next Sunday is Baptism Sunday, so you'll definitely want to be here in person if you can. Um, and also want to let you know that this morning's message uh, is a bit PG-13, and so if you brought your littles in here, um, we have tremendous family ministry back there. It may be a good day to put them back there because um, it anyway, messes slightly on the PG-13 side. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much uh, for this morning, and uh, Lord, thank you just for the joy that we get in giving and being a blessing uh, to that young man who has come over from Ukraine and his family is with him. God, thanks that we just get a front row seat to seeing what you're doing. Um, and God, as we look into the Word today, I pray that you would teach us, I pray that you would show us, I pray that you would help me to say exactly what you want me to say, nothing more and nothing less. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I was 25 years old, just a few years out of college, and I was on Young Life staff in Cleveland, Ohio. And on the Young Life staff in a particular area, you have what's called a board or a committee. And so I got a call one night from a, a friend who said, one of the guys in your committee, a guy named Dan, one of the guys in your committee uh, or in your board was arrested for prostitution solicitation the other night. And I thought you should know about it. And so I, I heard that news, and um, I was heartbroken, heartbroken for him, but also a little bit, like, heavy for myself. Like, how am I going to deal with this? I'm 25 years old. This guy is in his 40s. Uh, his son is involved with the ministry that I lead. I'm like, I was just feeling an overwhelming weight. Um, and so I did the first thing I know how to do is I prayed. Uh, and then I called uh, a guy and got some wisdom and some counsel, and then I prayed again. Um, and then I picked up the phone to call Dan, and then I put it down, and I prayed some more. Uh, and then I picked up the phone and dialed about seven numbers, and then put it down and prayed, and then picked it up. And finally, I dialed the whole number, and I talked to this guy, Dan, and I said, Hey, um, I got word that you were arrested for soliciting a prostitute. Um, and I just want to talk to you about that and see what's up. And he says to me, he said, you know, um, actually my cousin called me about that as well. Um, the guy in the news, it wasn't me. He, he looked like me apparently, but it, it wasn't me. Um, so sorry I had to make this call, but it wasn't me. So I hang up the phone, not quite sure what to do next, prayed some more. Uh, and then I called, he was arrested in an area near the, um, uh, Cleveland Airport. And so I called the municipality there and asked about this. And I said, hey, I work with an organization with students and a guy on our board and so forth and so on. Can you tell me if this guy was the person who was arrested? And it was part of like kind of a bunch of people who were on the news and arrested at the same time. And the guy confirmed to me on the phone. He said, yes, it was him. So then I call my friend Bill. Um, and Bill also knows Dan, the three of us are friends, um, and, and uh, Bill also served on this board. And, I, and so we, we talked about it, and so we set up a time for Dan to come and talk to Bill and I at Bill's office. And we said, you know, why don't you come after work on a particular day, 5.30. And so I'm at Bill's office, and we're waiting for Dan to arrive. And 5.30 comes and goes, about 5.35. Dan calls and says, hey, I'm really swamped at work. Things got uh, longer and later. Um, don't, you know, we'll meet another time. 
And we said, no, we're fine. We'll, we'll just hang out here. We'll wait till you arrive and, and we get here. Um, we'll talk. And so we wait and then probably 6.30 or so, uh, he calls again. He's like, man, I'm just, I'm not going to be able to get there. Let's push it off. We're like, no, we'll wait. And this cycle repeats itself about, I think, three or maybe four times. Finally, about nine o'clock at night, um, so we've waited this thing out for a long time, Dan shows up. And so Bill and I kind of present the evidence to him of, hey, this really was you who was on the news and the police report and so forth. Um, And so then Dan proceeds to say, you know what, that was me, um, but thankfully I was arrested before I ever got the opportunity to sleep with the prostitute, and so isn't that all good? And we were like, you know, at that point we're like, well, that's what he says, who knows? And so we left it at that. as, as things turned out, this guy's life completely unraveled, um, lost to his wife and a whole bunch of other things, and it wasn't a one-time incident. It was a whole big deal. And I, um, it was one of those things that was just as a 25-year-old person, I'm like, this is way, way over my head. And I open with that story because this morning we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Um, and 1 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about church discipline and talks about confrontation um, and, and how do we deal with sin in the church. And um, true confession, um, I didn't really want to give this message this morning, um, but we're going through 1 Corinthians and I want to be faithful to what it says and figuring out what it says, whether it's hard or easy or encouraging or not, I want us to, to look at it and see what God says on the subject uh, I was talking to a friend uh, on Tuesday, and he, he said, hey, what are you speaking about this Sunday? And I said, I hope that I get COVID. That's my goal for Sunday, that I would get COVID. <laughs> um, and so I was drinking after everybody this week trying to get COVID. It, uh, it didn't happen. And then, honestly, yesterday, uh, as I was praying through this, I was like, I feel, I feel good about this. I feel like this is what God wants me to share. And then this morning, I went back the other way. I'm like, can I still get COVID? Is it too late? Um, But today, we're going to learn from this passage and a companion passage um, about confrontation and accountability and understanding grace and tough love and perhaps most importantly about what restoration, what that looks like. Um, So before we jump in, we're going to be in chapter 5. I want to remind us of something that we talked about week 1 of 1 Corinthians uh, series. And this is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. And it says this. Uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 2. Paul is writing, he says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sac- sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So if you remember, if you're here on that week, we talked about how the letter of 1 Corinthians is written specifically to believers. And four times in this passage, Paul clarifies that. He says, to the church of God, to those who are sanctified, to the saints, to those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus. So he's writing this letter in its entirety to people who profess to be Christians, who are inside the church. He's not writing it to those outside the church. And that's especially important this morning as we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and what it talks about as far as writing to those who are believers. And so I would say this, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, if you are investigating Christianity, kind of trying to figure this whole thing out, this doesn't really apply to you. 
right? Now, if you're here this morning and you brought a friend who's investigating Christianity, you're like, oh my gosh, I brought them on the worst Sunday. I apologize for that. I can't do much about that at this point in time. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul writes, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. So Paul writes, it's been reported uh, among you, right? And so if you've been following along, we've talked about the fact that Paul gets, he's kind of keeping up as the founder of the Corinthian church. He's keeping up in the church. People will say stuff to him. He will get letters for them. And so he knows what's going on here. And the issue that's going on, it's sexual immorality. And the specific example that he's talking about, it says a man has his father's wife. So what that means is that there's a man who is sleeping with, in an affair with his stepmother, okay? And so that's the, that's the specific issue that he's pointing out. And he points it out and he says, that is not even tolerated among the pagans. Now, uh, to understand something about the culture, when we talk about Corinth, Corinth was a very sexually promiscuous place. You know, we have the phrase, um, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. We've also have heard that phrase and laughed about it a little bit. That phrase is actually not original with Las Vegas. It actually comes from a, what a philosopher said about Corinth. And the philosopher said this. He said, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. So who are we to judge? And so what Paul is saying, he's saying, what is going on in this church specifically with this man having an affair with his stepmom is so egregious that even the pagans, even those who are far from God, say that's out of bounds morally. You know, it would be like if we looked at Las Vegas or Amsterdam, we say even the people of Las Vegas and Amsterdam, Amsterdam think that's a terrible thing outside of bounds morally. And then Paul continues and he says this. He says, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn. So here's the problem. And, and by the way, Paul in this passage, he's going to deal a little bit with the man who's involved with the sexual sin, but his bigger teaching here is to the church and the way that they're handling this man's particular sexual sin. He says the problem is that the church is arrogant about it. Not only are they not saying anything, that they're kind of proud, they're proud of their tolerance of like, hey, we kind of let anything go here. You know, this man is someone who is, you know, who is in the church. People know who he is. And, and what seems to be going on is that he is in full participation in the church. He's not just kind of a casual attender, a guy that comes every now and then, but it's a person who is involved in the church, claiming to be a believer in Christ. He'd be like somebody at Riverage Church who's, you know, on the worship team and, and leading a small group and doing this and, and very involved in the church. But the church, instead of confronting the sin in this man's life, says that they're arrogant. They're proud of it. They're kind of going, man, look how tolerant we are. Look how much grace we have. Look how much love that we have for this guy. We're not saying anything to him. Like it's two consenting adults, and so we're totally fine with it. We are so loving and accepting of everybody who can do whatever they want. That's the situation that was going on. But Paul says, are you, you are arrogant. Should you instead be mourning? 
And mourning was a word that this particular word is used at funerals in the, eye of, in the idea of grieving over something. Now, this morning as we look at this topic and we talk about sin, I do hope that the first thing we'll do is look in a mirror instead of looking at other people. Like, I don't want the first thing to do is a, we need to kick that person out, confront that person, that person's in sin. What my hope is, is that we look in a mirror first and say, where am I with sin? And this phrase, um, are you arrogant, should you not instead mourn? It reminded me of a phrase from the book of Philippians that really cut my heart when I was in college. And the way that Paul puts it in Philippians, he says to the Philippians, he says, those who are running from God, those who aren't pursuing God, it says, they glory in their shame. They glory in their shame, meaning that they take glory, they take pride in what they should really be ashamed of. And I can remember when I read that in college and I was in a small group of, that I kind of really understood what that meant in college, I realized that that was me, that there were some things in my life in the way that I related to girls and dating and all that kind of stuff that I was glorying in what I really should have been ashamed of. And so the first thing we do is we look in the mirror. So here's what Paul says that the church needs to do in terms of this man, verse 2. He says, and, uh, he says, let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. So he says, this man is to be removed from the fellowship of the church. He's saying his sin with his stepmother is so egregious and so unrepentant that he needs to be removed from the church. And as we look at this, I want us to understand a few things about this situation because what I wouldn't want to be happen is like we begin to like, let's just kick everybody out of the church. Like uh, you cussed, you cut somebody off in traffic, you were naughty, you looked at the, like I don't want us to, it's not that. It, there are some specific things and we need to understand what those specific things were. First of all, the man was claiming to be a Christian. He says, I'm a Christian. He said, I'm part of this church. So that's one aspect. The second uh, is this, is that the sin that he was committing was of a very severe nature. And a little bit later, he talks about kind of this area of severe sins, but it was a sin of very severe nature. But here's the third thing, and I think this may be the most important of the three, is that this is not a man who was struggling with sin. This was not a guy that was going, I know this is wrong. I'm trying to stop. I, you know, this was a guy that was saying, doesn't matter. I can do what I want. I have Jesus. I can do whatever I want. Who are you to tell me? It was that type of situation. It wasn't someone who recognized the sin and was struggling to deal with it or figure that how to live in that kind of context. So then it continues on in verse 4. It says this. It says, when you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Well, that's a pretty weird statement, isn't it? I mean, let's just say it. It says, you are to deliver this man to Satan for destruction of the flesh. What exactly does that mean? Because it's not a common phrase that we use a whole lot. And really, it's actually not that complicated. Uh, Paul is basically putting it, in other words, what he has already said just before when he says that you're to put this person 
out um, to be removed from among you. That was their expression of that, is to hand them over to Satan. And basically the idea was, and where this metaphor comes from essentially, is it that when, when you're in the church, when you are in the body of Christ, then you have the protection of God under you. But when you are not under Christ, then you're open to the wrath of God or you're open outside of the umbrella of protection of being a part of Christ's body. And so they're saying, cast him out. Let him be where he actually is. And then the second part of this verse is really what I want us to focus on. It says, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So here's, and we're talking about two purposes of confrontation this morning. The first purpose is restoration, if you want to jot that down. The first purpose is restoration. He says very clearly, he says the purpose in doing this, the purpose of putting this man out of the church is so that his spirit may be saved, that he would recognize kind of this starting like, okay, the church has put me out. This is a serious thing that he would recognize that and that he would come into a true and right relationship with God. Jesus talks about confrontation and actually talks about people removing people, removing members from the church as well. And I want to talk about that for a minute to kind of give us a perspective from Jesus' angle. So if you uh, want to turn over in your Bible to Matthew chapter 18, you can do that. Matthew chapter 18. And Jesus is going to talk about church discipline and, and confrontation. He says this. This is uh, verse eight, chapter 18, verse 15. It says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So he says the first thing to do when your brother has sinned and you are the one to go and talk to him, he says go and talk to him just between the two of you. And he emphasizes, he says, just between the two of you. And then he adds this word, which he doesn't need to add because it doesn't add anything to it. He says alone. It's, it's kind of like a double emphasis. Like you don't go talk about it. You don't go bring the whole everybody. It's just you and him alone and go have a conversation about it. That's the first step. He doesn't say, send them a text. He doesn't say, send them an email. He doesn't say, send the person a Facebook message. He doesn't say, put it on Facebook in a way that they'll know that I'm talking about them, but it's veiled to everybody else, right? That's never happened, has it? He says, go and talk to the person alone, just you and him. And then that last phrase is great. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You have restored him. That's the purpose. That's what you're going after, to restore your brother into right relationship with God. But if that doesn't work, but if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So in my opening story, that's why Bill and I went and talked to Dan to talk to him. The two of us went together. We took that next step. Then it says this, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So it says, if he doesn't listen after one, and then two on one or three on one, then you go and tell it to the church. 
Now, in our context, you can well, what would that look like? You know, that's not going to look like, you know, after Alex gives the announcements for around there, hey, can I say something up here? Uh, my husband is, like, that's not what that looks like, right? That's not tell it to the church. That would be coming to myself or one of the other pastors or a staff member or a board member and saying, hey, this is going on. I talked to the person. Two of us talked, and they're not listening, and I think we need to take some next steps in terms of confrontation with that person. But then if you look how this finishes, it says, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. How did Jesus treat Gentiles and tax collectors? With judgment or with love? With love. And it's interesting how it comes full circle. Saying that even when someone is under, you know, even when someone has been put out of the church, even when someone is confronted and they're not repentant, we still love and care for them. We treat them with unconditional love as we would a Gentile or a tax collector, as if you've been a part of that language a little bit. And it's interesting how this passage ends, skipping down to verse 20. He says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there, I, there am I among them. And you probably have heard that verse quoted but it typically is quoted when there's like, hey, we're going to have a time of prayer together and we're invite, you know, our whole small group or a bunch of people, and, but then only like two or three people show up. And then you go, well, you know, where two or three are gathered, Jesus is with us, it's great, there's the three of us, and, and God is here. And that's typically how we utilize that. And that is true. When two or three people show up to pray, God is with them. But the context here says, where two of you or three of you agree, meaning that God works through accountability. God works through discipline. These are the things that sharpen us in our walk with faith, that God is in and among that. So that was Jesus' take on it. And then we're going to jump back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and continue in what Paul says. We're at verse uh, 6. He says, Your boasting is not good. So that's the same thing. He says, You're boasting about how tolerant you are. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Or your translation may say, a little yeast spreads through the whole dough. I'm not a baker, so I had to do a little bit of research on this. But essentially, the way that I understand it is that yeast or leaven, you put it in dough, and it spreads very rapidly throughout the dough, and then that's what causes it to rise. But it's the idea that yeast or leaven spreads throughout the whole thing. And so Paul is saying saying, here's what he's saying, he says, part of the purpose of confrontation is protection, okay? Purpose of confrontation, that's number two on your outline, is protection. The idea that you don't want the sin of this man in the church and the total permissiveness with anything sexual to spread throughout the rest of the church. Why is that? Why is that an important part of it? Here's um, why, is we do, or I'm going to put it this way, we imitate what we see. We imitate what we see. And so if this man is allowed to continue to carry on this affair with his, with, his, um, with his stepmom, then that gives this permissive, like, well, if that's okay, then pretty much anything is okay. And if that's okay and anything is okay, then we can just say, hey, I believe in Jesus and live however the heck we want to live, saying that this confrontation is over protecting the church. 
one of the things that we do at River Ridge is we ask that anybody who is in a teaching capacity, whether it be a small group leader for adults or for kids, um, to sign a covenant. And, and, uh, and all of our serving positions have covenant with different kind of parts of it. But in, in that particular covenant, if you're teaching kids or adults, there's um, a, basically a, a phrase in there or something that people agree to um, sexual, kind of sexual ethics or biblical sexual ethics. Um, so a number of years ago, there was a guy who was leading um, at, at River Ridge, leading an elementary group of kids. Um, and so it came to our attention that he was living with and sleeping with his girlfriend, who he was obviously not married to as his girlfriend. So um, initial conversations, and then I was brought into it as kind of the, the church, so to speak, if you look at what Jesus is saying. And we had a conversation. Um, and I, you know, we said, hey, you know, this is going on in your life, um, but you're also teaching uh, elementary kids, and you're teaching them, hey, I need to make the wise choice, and what goes along with that, and you're not living that out in your own life, and, you know, just want to see your response to it. Um, and his response was really super clear. This is what he said. He said, what I do in my personal life has nothing to do with what I do here at church. And he kind of made the decision for himself to say, hey, I'm... I'm not going to be a small group leader if that's the expectation. Again, I want to make it clear with this guy in the church, and especially as I just shared that story, that the guy in the church and the guy in the story were completely unrepentant. And I don't want people to leave here going, well, I guess I can't come back to River Ridge anymore. I sin. Well, guess what? So do I, right? But it's a question of what is our posture towards sin? What is our attitude towards sin. Are we those are who are repentant? Or are we like, hey, doesn't matter, anything goes? Paul continues in verse 7. says this. says, cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so again, he's, he's kind of playing on that leavened bread, and that was part of the Passover feast, and they had unleavened bread. But he's saying, look, instead of evil and malice and these things spreading throughout our body or spreading out throughout the church, let's focus on spreading sincerity and truth. That's going to be a lot better to make the church what God wants it to be if we're sincere and honest with each other and if we speak the truth to one another. And then the last five verses, and we're going to finish these up pretty quickly, Paul gives a number of kind of qualifications and clarifications to what he said, and even kind of repeats some things that have come previously. So in verse 9, he says this, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all mean the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. So again, this kind of first clarification, he's saying that what I'm saying doesn't apply to people who are outside the church, people who don't claim to be believers. He's saying you don't have to not associate with them. You don't need to treat them in any kind of different way. People who are outside the church, we don't want to make them conform and live as though they are believers. We don't want to just export morality. That what happens is we change our hearts, we come to Christ, and then we live as God wants us to live. And then in verse 11, he says, but now I am writing to you 
not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reveler, drunkard, or swindler. Do not even eat with such a one. And so he gives this list, and you, can, you see that list of, of sins twice um, in verse uh, 9 and 10 and then in verse 11. Um, but what he's saying here is he's saying, we're not going to exercise church discipline over every single sin that a person commits. He's saying it's limited, and there's, I think, six or maybe eight sins in there. He says it's, it's limited to those sins which are kind of egregious sins, right? Those sins which are bigger sins. Now, even as I say that, I know that some of you are going, aren't all sins the same? Like, I've heard, like, all sins are the same. How can you say that there are different levels of sin? And so it kind of depends on the context of it. Are all sins the same? In one sense, yes. Any sin separates us from God. Any sin is harmful to our relationship with God. But certain sins are more harmful or have greater consequences, right? And we know that just by looking at life. You know, if you have a child and your son throws peas at his sister, right? Well, that's a sin, that's a problem, and you're going to deal with it, right? You have a son who has a, and his sister, and he throws his sister off the porch. Well, that's a different thing. You're going to handle that differently than throwing peas at your sister versus throwing your sister off the porch, right? And so the consequences are different. Are both sins? Yes, but the consequences are different. And so that's what he's getting to here. And so the point of this clarification that he's making is that we don't go down this road of church accountability and church confrontation on every single sin. I mean, we would be left with nobody left in the church. He's saying, this is the context that I want you to understand it in. And then he closes with these words, verses 12 and 13. He says, For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Again, he, he's basically reiterating what he has already said. He says, the person, this person who is sleeping with their stepmom, you need to purge that person outside of the church for their restoration, for his restoration, for the protection of the church. And then he says, but remember, don't go doing this with people who are unbelievers, people who are outside the church. It is not your responsibility to judge them. That is God's responsibility. So it's kind of heavy, right? Where does that leave us with application? The first thing I would say is this. If this kind of raises some questions, and what about this or what about that, please um, speak to me. I'd love to have an ongoing conversation about this if you would like to have that. Um, But here's the second thing, um, is the first thing that we do is we look in the mirror. And we say, where does God have me? Are there sins in my life that I need to take care of? Are there sins in my life that I need to deal with in my own life? And then the second question is this. Is God calling me to have a difficult conversation? Is God calling me to have a conversation with a friend who is in sin that doesn't recognize it or needs a nudge in the right direction or some accountability? And is God calling you to have that type of conversation? Again, not that kind of email, not that kind of text, not that kind of Facebook message, but is God calling you to have that kind of conversation? 
and then to have the boldness to act on it. So I just want to take a couple minutes um, and just give you a moment just to reflect and silently consider what is it that God is laying on your heart this morning. As you consider what God is speaking to you, I just want to remind you that there is forgiveness in Christ. And if there's some sin that God is laying on your heart and reminding you of, I want him also, I want you also to be reminded that you are forgiven of that sin because Christ died for you. And that draws you to him, not pushes you away from him. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the forgiveness of sin that you offer to us. That if we confess our sins to you, you are holy and just to forgive us of all of our sins. And God, this morning as some here are contemplating a conversation that may be difficult or awkward, God, I pray that you would give us your words with that. Speak to us about your truth. Give us the courage. Also, Lord, give us the wisdom and insight about when to have conversations and when not to have conversations, Lord. We put this in you, with you, that you might speak to us. Father, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for these words from 1 Corinthians that I would probably in my own flesh choose to avoid, but you have them there because you want us to learn from them. Help us to faithfully apply your word to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.